When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith With, an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Wherever you're listening from today, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And if you're at a place like uh, iTunes or Podchaser uh, where you can leave a rating or a review, that'd be really awesome as well. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest is Cheryl Crow. She just surprised us with a brand new single, which also features Annie Clark of St. Vincent. We got to talk all about how the track came about, her relationship with Annie. We also talk about her plans for her next album and how she plans to move forward with singles after that. There's also some anniversary talks, the 10th of Detours, the 20th of the Globe Sessions, and the 25th of Tuesday Night Music Club. There's a lot in this interview, and it's all really good. It's Kyle Meredith with Cheryl Crow. I'm um, great. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, too. we got a lot to talk about. Now, I do want to jump in the time machine, but uh, you went and surprised the world recently with a, uh, a brand new single, which paired two of my favorite artists of all time together, you and St. Vincent, Annie Clark, uh, and this single, Wouldn't Want to Be Like You. It's so oh, good. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm just thrilled that people are noticing it. You know, it's it's really been it's really been an awesome thing. Um, I, I love Annie. I'm a big fan. I, I sent her this track, and she was like, "Yes, let me add it." And she just brought all of her brilliance to it, and it really, I think, created an edge there that is so synonymous with with the meaning of the song. So it's fun to play live, and I can't wait to play it with her. And uh, we're we're psyched. Is, is there any other backstory? I mean, you know, what you're talking about, I, I feel like is the is the obvious stuff here, but but where did this song come from? When when would it when did it happen? Yeah, you know, um, I've been in a studio just off and on when I felt like being 
in the studio, and that's been great. My studio is above my, it's in my barn, actually, above horse stalls. And so I have the convenience of being able to just go down and write and create when I felt like it. And I have really felt like it a lot lately. Um, it's a luxurious time to be an artist if you want to write about, you know, what's going on. There's a lot to write about. And um, just this climate of, the truth not not mattering um, has really been unnerving to me, especially when you're raising kids, you know, and you're trying to explain that no matter how painful it is, the truth is the most important thing. And so, you know, it just started with that. It started with all these stories swirling around after um, the president was elected, just, you know, about the idea of how much wealth there is out there and how many people are getting away with becoming wealthy on the backs of other people and how, at the end of the day, people are just going to believe what they're told by the person that they support. And it's it's very, it's very alarming. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a very alarming time. It, it does, it feels like our information is hijacked in a lot of ways. Yeah, so it's, it, how do you does. get it back? And, you know, my, my whole thing has always been, you know, do your research, find reputable places to inform yourself. But in this day and age, it's really the Wild West with technology giving us the opportunity to get news in a gazillion different ways. And it doesn't always, you know, it's not always the truth. And it's impossible to discern what is what is true and what isn't. And it's not like the old days where you went to the New York Times or you, whatever your reputable source was, you could find out, you know, the truth. So it's, a, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot, a lot to write about. It's, it's great fun to go in the studio and just kind of mix it up. And I, I'm, I'm especially glad that people are latching onto this song because it is just a tale of what what line can kind of get you into. I mean, eventually, I think always the truth comes out. You know, the truth always does come out. So that's kind of the story of the song. Now, this does come off the um, on the heels, I guess, of uh, another one-off single you released. Uh, was it late in the year last year with the, the Dreaming Kind? Uh, this this sort of is this the new mo for you? Just these little one-off singles that you're talking about? Because um, I also noticed that you know th- there's no label attached to this. This is just you putting these out. Yeah, no, we've had a great we're having a great experience with this company called Stem. We put out the Dreaming Kind on Bandcamp, and that was amazing. Um, and that came on the heels of uh, the shooting in in Florida, and it was the five-year anniversary um, of Sandy Hook. So. I've got this record in the can that's going to come out next year, and it's it's a very collaborative record with people I've asked to collaborate with me, the people I've loved and have worked with and have been heroes of mine forever. And um, I have people like Stevie Nicks on it and Keith Richards and uh, Joe Walsh and Don Henley, who was one of the first people to give me a gig. Johnny Cash is on it. And I really love the record so much. But at the same time, I think, you know, how would I follow that up with an album? And I do think that albums as an art form are kind of, um, you know, a little bit of a dying, a little bit of a dying art form that people are more interested in singles. So I've, I've sort of made the decision in my head that the record that comes out next year will be my my last full album and I'll just start putting songs out. And that feels good to me. It feels great not to spend the time in the studio to make a full, fully art- realized conceptual album, but just to put out really pertinent songs that feel immediate. I mean, as a fan, yeah, to, to have these just keep rolling out, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. Uh, I'm all for that. And I know it's about staying energized, you know, for you. So that's that's exciting. 
is. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I was, I, I mean, I went, I, I came into the age of technology kicking and screaming. I mean, I was like holding on to my vinyl, like just, you know, like it was uh, Armageddon, you know, I, just so faithful about analog and uh, people buying records and knowing who played on them. And, you know, slowly I've, I've sort of dragged myself into the new age and really want to take advantage of the fact that it can make things really immediate and it can give you the opportunity to be you know sort of a musical tweet as opposed to a newspaper that when it comes out it's already old you know it can be very immediate so i'm loving it well i do want to jump into the time machine because there's this great thread that works with a a few of the anniversaries that you're having this year with your records uh you've written topical your entire career Uh, obviously these new singles uh are just the latest entry in that detours which come out 10 years ago i was looking back at that and Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting because we were in the middle of the Iraq war at that point. And, and when I look, yeah. you know, peace yeah. be upon us all, Babylon, gasoline, like it seems to be telling the tale of the time. But then I looked at the very first song and it said, God bless this mess. And I thought, that's almost cute now. That's that's quaint. You know what we were looking at. I know, and you know, and I was really careful about how I was saying things because didn't want to ruffle any feathers. And now we're past the point where, you know, for better or for worse, Trump kind of ushered in the new age of there is no there should be no political correctness. So, you know, in some ways, it gives artists like me who've always been particularly artful and careful about saying things the opportunity to just you know, barf it out, um, for better or for worse. But God Bless This Mess was really a, a reference to the fact that we went into a war that was based on untruths or, you know, not uh, not factual information. And then you see that kind of thing all the time, and yet we're not even really questioning it. So that song was, and that whole album really was inspired by what was happening in that time, at that time. And that time really seems much less daunting to me now than what it was at the time. I mean, at the time, it seemed extremely alarming what was going on in the country. But wow, things have changed. And, um, you know, just got to keep writing. I don't think you get enough credit as a protest singer, because I definitely think that that should be tagged on to every time someone, you know, throws out all of the accolades and everything for for Sheryl Crow. But when I do talk to a lot of of, of folks who do those type of songs, topical songs, protest songs, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. there's this sort of idea Mm -hmm. that maybe if I write it now, I won't have to sing it in five or ten years. And do you look back on these songs and think, I could totally bring those back in my set and they're completely going to work again? Well, I'll tell you, um, this has been a, a habit of mine forever. Uh, I always pull out Bob Dylan songbooks before I make a record. There's something about his cadences, his tone. He's almost like the Bible in that you can pick up the Bible and you can point to something, and invariably the Scripture will pertain to your immediate uh, dilemma. Uh-huh. You know, it just seems like God is all in that. Well, I, I experience that when I pick up the Bible. I experience that when I pick up. Bob Dylan. You know, I I read his lyrics and I think this stuff could be now. You know, his questioning uh, during the uh, 60s, giving voice to a whole movement of people that were really asking questions and saying, look, we're not satisfied and we're overlooked and we're underserved. And all these songs could be now. And I guess as an artist, you hope for that. But for me, I mean, I'd love for all things to be wrapped up in a tiny bow, tidy bow and not ever have to sing songs that voice some kind of social unrest. But 
wow, what a humbling thing to be able to pull out a song from 10 years ago and feel like it still has a life and it still has pertinence. And um, so, yeah, you know, it's it's a little bit of a catch-22, but a lot of those songs on that Detours record are still pretty representative. The fact that we're still embedded in this thirst for oil and gas, we're always talking about gas and There's just so much of it that doesn't change. And the bottom line is that it just all comes down to money and greed. So, you know, those, and that's biblical. That goes all the way back to biblical times too. So, you know, it's just part of our humanity, I guess. I'm going to, I'm going to take the opportunity to seg there uh, talking about Dylan. Uh, The Globe Sessions turning 20 years old. You, uh, you had a Dylan song on there with Mississippi. I've never known the story because you released that before he released his own version. Was that gifted to you? How did, how did you end up with Mississippi? Well, I've known Bob for a lot of years. I opened up for him at Roseland and he opened up his friendship to me and he, he's, you know, he is, he's an outstanding mentor. I will tell you, um, I was making the Globe Sessions and, um, Thought, um, I thought I had finished it, and I got on an airplane. We had, we had turned it in. It was called The Ride. And I get on the airplane, and I pick up USA Today, and it talks about the release of my record coming out called River Wide, and I just felt this lump in my throat, feeling like this record is not done. It just doesn't feel done. And I got to the studio. I was working in New York at the Globe, and my manager, um, who's very good friends with Bob's publisher, as am I, great, great people Bob has around him, called and said, hey, Bob, has three or four songs that he wanted to know if Cheryl wanted to take a listen to. And that, I mean, that was just like manna from heaven. <laughs> and Mississippi, yeah, and they don't send it to you. They come over and they play it for you. So I heard the song and I was like, that's it, man. And that really breathed new fire and material into the new record. I, I wrote two other songs that went on that record. And it just, it just really breathed some new life into it. But the funny thing about it was, is I recorded it just as I remembered. And we did it kind of up and kind of feeling like the birds. And then years later, or a couple of years later, I saw him, and he had already put it out. I think it was Time Out of Mind that had Mississippi on it, or maybe the next Love and Theft. It was, sure, yeah, Love and Theft. Yeah. Love and Theft. Love and Theft, yes. And uh, I said, well, how, how did you like Mississippi? How did you like our version? He goes, how did you like mine? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was like, I loved it. <laughs> and this is really slow, you know, but it's just, you know, that's a testament to a great song that can be done in so many different ways um, with those kinds of lyrics and his brilliance with melody structure. So, yeah, you know, I've just had these little tiny gifts dropped from heaven all through my career, and that was definitely one of them. Yeah, <laughs> and it's such a fun thing to listen to. We 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 still throw that one on all the time. Uh, around the house. Uh, I do love your version of that. And oh, thank you. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that happened with the Globe Sessions. I mean, you ended up winning Best Rock Album at the Grammys the following year in 99 for this. It was self-produced. Was that the first time you went completely self-produced, or if, or am I missing a, a credit there? Well, the second record was self-produced, the Sheryl Crow okay. record. Right. Um, I went in to make my second record and had a lot of success on the first record and was pretty worn out and just a little cynical and uh, went in to make my record with my first producer. And I think he, he also was going through his own battles and we worked for about a day and then he decided he was going to go back home to California. And I was just in New Orleans. So I thought, well, I called my manager and he said, Hey, you demo yourself all the time. And they sound like records. Just do 
do what you do and we'll figure it out later. And that's what we did. That's what that record was. It was just the product of being in New Orleans and having the urge to kind of prove myself as a you know fully realized artist. And when you look back at it, I mean, you know, because Tuesday Night Music Club, which I bring that up, 25th anniversary, that thing just keeps, you know, yeah. trudging away right there. But, you know, I, I know that it took a while for that one to light. Like, it took, a, it, like, a few singles to, to catch on for that one. But for the second oh, record, yeah. yeah, for the second record, the self-titled one to, you know, be on the heels of that success. I mean, the Globe Sessions, to me, I'd wondered, like, like now, was the confidence more there? Like, okay, it, it's all happened. I can come out, like, knocking this out of the park. I mean, what was the, mind, what was the mood there as you're going into it? Well, it's funny because this last record that I made called the Be Myself record, I went back and listened to some of those records because I wanted to just sort of examine. Yeah, I don't listen to my records, so I kind of wanted to just re-examine what the spirit of those were, and it reminded me of what I was going through when I made the records. And if you're really open and you're doing your, you know, you're you're writing your your story, you can pretty much go back in time and relive what went into making that record. And the Globe Sessions was the result of, I think, having settled into my position as incredible. You know, the first record, the jury was still out. The second record, um, it came on really strong and gave me the opportunity to say, look, I, I am a real artist. I do write, I do play, and I can produce. So the third record, I went into it with a really, I'd gone through a really emotional breakup, and I was able to just kind of close the door and be that part of myself, which was, you know, really vulnerable and uh, a little bit heartbroken and a little more worldly, a little more wide-eyed than perhaps I was on my first two records. So, you know, all that stuff kind of just spilled into that record. It's always amazing when, you know, from the fans' point of view, all you see is the success, success, never thinking about the the balance of an artist's life as it's going on, like when all the good things are happening and something is falling apart personally. Yeah, it's a weird thing. You know, I'm not not a, a person that has ever enjoyed fame. I think some people are really built for it, and some people that really is what drives the machine. But for me, um, what always drove my machine was that I had all these people that I had aspired to be like, like Stevie, who's like the most fully realized artist I've ever known, and people like Dylan and uh, great songwriters like Joni Mitchell. And I just didn't, I didn't want to be less than that. I wanted to be, I wanted to make music that felt like it could be around for a long time. So the same thing has always been sort of sort of a strange, I don't know, kind of a strange experience for me. Well, there's plenty of great singles that ended up on there. I mean, my favorite mistake, Anything But Down, uh, a big favorite. Did, do you all talk uh, ever talk about doing the deluxe editions for, for those records like uh, like Tuesday Night ended up having? You know what? I'm really bad about looking backwards. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure, in fact, the Tuesday Music Club record, that was the brainchild of, the, the deluxe edition was the brainchild of, I guess, the record label and the managers. And I, I really don't even know. But I like the idea, you know, there's always a reason that you don't put songs on an album. So to add stuff to a deluxe that you didn't really want on the record always feels a little bit like you're betraying yourself. <laughs> I don't even know what's left over from the Globe Sessions. I, I really don't know. We'll 
for that matter, is left over from detours. I've, I've got like a, just a full-on trough of, of cassettes, unfortunately, you know, back, back in the day, cassettes and, and dat tapes and all that stuff, and, and two-inch tapes of stuff that, you know, just sits in vaults. So I'm, I'm sure that idea will be bandied about, and we'll see what comes of it. Uh, it, it definitely worked for me for the uh, for the Tuesday Night Music Club record because Killer Life ended up on there, and oh God, I loved that song. So, oh, and my gosh, you know, a lot of that stuff I just totally forgot about. You know, you just it's twenty five years ago is a long time. Yeah. You know, that was one of the shocking things about being at Bonnaroo and seeing all these young people singing songs that were older than them. I was in shock. <laughs> I saw that in your face. You kept commenting on that. I thought that was uh, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> My goodness! Oh, I just didn't expect it at all. And uh, just well, we we had such a great experience because there's just so much. It, I don't know. I just felt just total joy, and I felt like the audience, all these young kids, came there with just a, a euphoric feeling. And uh, man, it was a great day. It was a lot of fun. We we really enjoyed that set. Uh, I'll I'll end here. I want to I want to trace sort of a line, maybe a dotted line, back from the first album to the new single, because when I heard "Wouldn't Want to Be Like You," not as a direct reference, but my first thought was the Nana song from the uh, Tuesday Night Music Club. Yeah, actually, just hearing you say that, it, there there is sort of a there is, I guess, a little bit of a unconsciously a little bit of a um, yeah a, a little bit of a tie to that in the fact that it's sort of like a. Old school, well, I, I guess by today's terminology, it would be rap, but, you know, a, a, a talking blues kind of thing. Yeah. Um, very politi- politically delivered, you know, a lot of a lot of references. Gosh, a lot of references in the Na Na song, and, and definitely this song tells the tale of a lot of greedy people. Well, it's the stuff that I've loved through your entire career, the Na Na was, but a big favorite of mine. Of course, you know, it's I guess you'd call that a deep cut, but I like hearing those... Uh, those moments creep up with with your new songs as well. So I'm happy to feel like uh, just feeling like a deep cut has made it out. That's that's uh, it's 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 really it's is I'm really tickled about it. So and I have a lot of thanks to be throwing towards Annie Clark for for bringing it. If you guys ever want to collaborate on a live version of that song, put them both together. It's going to be great. I tell you, it's going to be great. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. I hope to hear okay, that. I'm one. gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you total credit when we do it. <laughs> awesome, Cheryl Crow. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for uh, for talking with me again today, especially in and uh, about all the old uh, stuff, but especially about the new stuff too. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, and uh, I'll look forward to, to hearing to all the you. new singles. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I hope you like them. All right. Have a great one. Take care. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. My thanks to Cheryl Crow for that call right there. The new single is Wouldn't Want to Be Like You and features Annie Clark of St. Vincent. Uh, Go ahead and subscribe to Consequence of Sound's YouTube channel to keep up with your favorite artists and interviews. And if you're checking out the podcast version of this, uh, hit the subscribe button there and then leave us a rating and a review. Then you can head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. And you can also get some bonus episodes of the series over there as well. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.